Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate you joining us in the midday. As always, Sports Radio 92.7 FM. You can text us, share your thoughts and your comments on the Carolina Men's Clinic text line 704-570-9610. Once again, 704-570-9610. I believe this is the last day this week that Fiddy will be filling the co-host chair. I know that that's how we start the show the last few days because Fiddy is doing the second chair type of thing the last week. And I know we're going to have to end this one with a bang because Wes should be back with us tomorrow to bring the three Kings back together. But I know you've enjoyed your airtime. You got one more time to do it here, Fiddy. I know you even were talking about it in the fishbowl saying, hey, maybe Wes, you just take it easy one more day and then you come back next week fresh, have the weekend ready to go. And I know your tactics. It might work, but I eventually think that Wes will be back in that co-host chair tomorrow. I was thinking about Walker. Um Going through you to, you know, you made Kelly Oubre miss about three weeks. That's that's on me, too. Okay. You know, maybe you just pull a few strings. And I'm not asking for three weeks of airtime, but, you know, just maybe one more day. You know, a, a, a fitty Friday just hits different during the football season, you know? And so maybe if Wes wakes up tomorrow, flat tire, maybe you still always tire. Goodness gracious. You know, but it's not me. Like, I'm going through you to make such a thing happen. I won't be the one complaining, you know? I do know. That's vicious. <laughs> a slash tire? Well, no, this it's is a flat that, tire. This is somebody that all, already joked about him having his car running in the parking lot when we went to Boston <laughs> in what was a surprising... I didn't expect that, but you said, yeah, did you leave your car on here? You had Wes going a little bit where, man, maybe I did have the car running (laughs) and then you just kept going with it. But no, you just wanted to pull this leg. We appreciate everybody that joined us last night at the Carolina Ale House over on Waverly Walk Avenue. Even if the Hornets lost to the Miami Heat for the second time this week, it was still a lot of fun seeing some of the guys roll out there and hang out with us. Big time shout to Brian actually just writing in. Speak of the devil, writing in on the text line. Brian helped us out last night, bring in the Charlotte Hornets heat second loss of the week, but we still had a lot of fun drinking some Michelob Ultra. Big shout to Michelob Ultra. Also Carolina Ale House, as we mentioned. Michael, the 49er fan, our guy. Couple things to him. Appreciate him joining us once more. We appreciate both guys for offering to pay for some drinks. We didn't take them up on it. In fact, we gave them some, but we appreciate the offer nonetheless. And I even got some gift ideas from Michael, the 49er fan, a chef, excellent in the kitchen, gave me some ideas on some Christmas presents for my girlfriend who loves to cook as well. Hey, what kind of appliances do I need to get? And then, of course, get accused of being this big extravagant uh, you know, having this big extravagant kind of lifestyle where I get the sous vide and then it's like, you know, me, I got the pinky out. I spend a lot of money on stuff. Even with all that, to all that being said, Michael, the 49er fan helping me, you know, get that reputation a little bit more. So, so I appreciate it, man. That was a lot of fun. Did you have a good time last night, Fitty? Oh yeah, man. We had, we had a blast, uh, good food, good beer, good friends. Um, and I wanted to say good basketball, but that, uh, that wasn't the case last night, not as competitive an effort from the bugs as we saw from them at home on Monday uh, night at spectrum center. And 
I think what you saw last night is a prelude to what we're going to see when they head west after this weekend. It's going to be a whole lot of losses in a probably not competitive fashion. Well, and they they were competitive in the fourth quarter. Let, let's get off the bus. Mr. Bus Driver, go ahead and pull up to the scene, open up the doors, and let's continue to talk about this Hornets team. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. competitive game the first game against Miami this week it was really the end of the second quarter beginning of the third quarter that allowed Miami to win by double digits they end up winning 115 to 104 and we were watching it Fiddy. Miami just got real hot we're talking about Kayla Martin trying to foul bait in the corner he does not get the call by the way but still finds a way to hit the three-pointer as the clock winds down in the first half, and then you come back out onto the court in the second half after going to the locker room, what's the first thing we see? It's Kyle Lowry at the top of the key taking an open three-point shot, drilling it, and that's what allowed them to get like a 17-18, 20-point lead where the Hornets just couldn't come back enough. They were competitive. Terry Rozier, Brandon Miller, that's been the duo. They're the don't-go-home-quite-yet duo. You can't leave the bar quite yet. You can't leave the Spectrum Center quite yet. The game's not entirely out of reach because Terry offensively is still giving you tough buckets. Brandon Miller, despite a really bad shooting night through the first three quarters of action, shows up in the fourth once again, which I don't know if it makes it more impressive. It does make it impressive, and then it balances out some of the shooting woes that happen in the first 36 minutes of play because that guy is so here for game time, man. Like, Brandon Miller wants all of the smoke, and that's what I underestimated most about Brandon. I was clearly a Scoot Henderson guy this offseason. I do think Brandon Miller, I mean, there's no debate. Brandon Miller is third on the NBA rookie ladder, as he should be, right behind Chet Holmgren and Victor Wembanyama. He's starting to get a little more of his flowers, but even so, still not as talked about as he should be. Just pretty consistent. Sometimes there are sh- a tough shooting nights, but that's going to happen with a guy that's so perimeter oriented. We'll see what happens with him as far as the superstardom goes, but he's even helping off ball in a monster way right now. It's exactly what you expected for him his rookie season. He's hitting his shots from deep, shooting 40% from three. He can't get to the rim with the ball in his hands. He can't initiate that drive and an attack mode. But when he gets into the mid-range, he's either pulling up for that shot, nailing it, or making the right pass and kicking out. And even if he misses a lot of shots in the first three quarters, such as last night, He's going to open up the fourth period with eight straight points to at least give them a shot. They dug themselves in too big of a hole in that transition going into halftime and then coming out of it, but still have to give a lot of kudos to Terry for not giving up. He's been sensational the last week or so. And same thing for Brandon all year. But Brandon has shown up in the fourth quarter as much as anybody, and that's why they keep going back to him, Fiddy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mentioned this uh, after Monday's loss, like, in the in the crunch, he was the guy that was initiating your offense, and he's a rookie. And I think that speaks volumes to the player that he already is, and the trust that he's earned from Steve Clifford and this and this coaching staff. You gotta love what Terry Rozier is doing, and you gotta hope this continues till the middle of February, so you can get the most trade value for him, um, and, and maybe get more for him than you initially thought. Because I I think it's becoming more and more clear by the day. This team needs to be reset. It needs to be blown up. You need a new core here. And at some point, this season needs to be about getting getting LaMelo Ball back 
healthy, wearing ankle braces, and seeing what him and Brandon Miller look like on the floor together and figuring out who's going to be here for the long term with those two guys. Is it going to be Miles Bridges? Is he going to be a guy that you reinvest in this offseason? Is it going to be P.J. Washington? What's Mark Williams' game going to look like? Like I think I think that's where this team is at it. Seven and fourteen. I know yesterday they were a game and a half, a game and a half out of the tenth spot in the Eastern Conference. That's going to change when they go out west starting next week. At some point, this season needs to be about developing for the future, and the best way to do that is to get rid of some veterans that haven't brought winning like like you wanted them to when you made the moves for them. I'm glad you bring that up because Matt Moore, Hardwood Paroxysm on Twitter, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the Action Network, does a lot of different things. And here he is with his latest article, NBA Trade Intel. Trade season starts with Pascal Siakam, Zach Levine, and Donovan Mitchell rumors. There is a tidbit about the Charlotte Hornets in there. And he says, despite Charlotte's disappointing season, there's little belief they'll make significant moves. There's skepticism that the new ownership group that took over from Michael Jordan is looking to take on salary at the moment. Makes sense. I don't want to take on salary either. If you trade Gordon Hayward, who has $30 million coming off of the payroll, I don't want to bring on more money and have that eat up cap space in the future when you're about to get rid of 30 million of it. Yeah. Miles Bridges on the qualifying offer, even if he sends the question mark back on the Jake Fisher report, how there's little belief the Hornets are going to keep him long term, even if Miles sends a question mark back, we still don't know what's going to happen. And so you might move on from him. Now you're talking about 38 million in cap space freed up to go get whoever you want. And sometimes cap space is a mirage as a positive. It can be really valuable. It is valuable, but really it's all about what you do with it. Because sometimes it could be a detriment. And we've seen that with the Hornets before. We would have thought in 2016 that cap space was real valuable until you pay Nick Batum the max, even if there were plenty of other teams that would have done it, especially Dallas. So it's not even that Charlotte Hornets, they weren't the only team that were going to do it. But clearly that does become a detriment when you give him close to a max contract and then you have a bunch of players eating up a decent amount of salary. All that to be said, you still want to have that shot. My question is, when we talk about taking the stick of dynamite and blowing it up, such as Nada Edwards said on Lockdown Hornets, what does that look like and how possible is it really? Because... They tried trading Terry Rozier reportedly last year, and they really couldn't do it because it's hard to trade. In the NFL, in the NBA, it's hard to trade because both teams want to leave a deal feeling that they won the trade. So it's really hard for one team to say, ooh, we fleeced him, or ooh, this is better serving our franchise, while the other team is thinking the same thing. Maybe you're in different spots. The easiest way to do that is a win now, win later type of move. Maybe some team thinks, okay, we did a great job for us right here. The other team thinks, okay, we did a great job for us in the next five years. That's the way that you win the trades. So if Charlotte isn't really looking to get better this season, then how do you get better for the future? Well, Terry Rozier, you try to trade him last year, but he's absolutely improved. We've talked about that a lot. He deserves all of his flowers for developing as a lead guard. Pick and roll decision making is improving. The tough shot making, it's here. It's awesome to see it. Has he improved asset wise? If he's not bringing in what you wanted last week or last year, maybe even last week, but last year, has he improved enough asset wise for some other team to go ahead and pull that trigger where, all right, yeah. We're desperate enough. We think the NBA Finals is wide open enough to where we'll give you a protected first-round pick. 
maybe heavily protected, but we'll give you something like that. If that's the case, then great. It might be time to move on. But now, if we're talking about no significant moves, according to the belief of the NBA, as told by Matt Moore, then it doesn't mean they're going to do nothing. They might do some smaller moves here and there to maybe try to find depth or do something for the future. But Terry Rozier would be a significant move, and he's playing better now. You can't trade Miles Bridges unless he says okay. He has right to first refusal. So... Miles Bridges, if he doesn't like a trade where he might be involved, he can say no, and then you can't do it. You don't want to trade Gordon Hayward as much because he's got $30 million that are freeing up. So when we say, hey, it's time to blow it up, well, I, mean, I just don't know how. No, and I'm not even saying that you're wrong on that. Because I want to trade about, him, though, to get something. Who, Gordon? Yes. I mean, you, I mean, like, I, I, I mean, or maybe you look at the $30 million being freed up as enough asset to where you, you justify not trading him. But, like, you're talking about a guy that never lived up to his contract. If you could get something in value. But it's all about what you were going to get. So, yes, I would absolutely trade Gordon Hayward if we get to, what, like two first-round picks. But you also have to think about the salaries needing to match. Yeah. So if it was Gordon Hayward for two first-round picks, great. Hell, yeah, I'm making that move. But the NBA collective bargaining agreement is such that you have to match salaries. That's why we have the ESPN trade machine. So if you were able to bring on money that was also going to expire, great. It's really hard to try to find expiring deals coming back, assets that teams are willing to part with in exchange for Gordon Hayward, who is injury prone. You're going to be renting, which is probably valuable to the other team because that expiring is something you want. But also, you're trading him for a run this season and then maybe the inside track next year, but there's no guarantee you're going to keep him. It's just all of these circumstances make it really hard to figure out the right deal for Charlotte to send him packing. I think the hardest thing when it looks at, when you look at trading away a guy like Terry Rozier, is how many championship contenders can afford him and his price stack coming off the bench? Because I don't think he's a starter on a championship contending team. Maybe I'm wrong. We've seen him grow and develop individually here as a Hornet, but it hasn't translated to overall team success. The team has made two play-in tournaments and got blown out in, in both their first games. I think that's what's going to be the, the, the struggle with him is what contender is going to take him on at the price that he's being paid to be your first or second guy off the bench. Terry Rozier would be a great guy off of the bench. I mean, he would be great for a contender. And also, I, I kind of go to a Dennis Schroeder type role, except even better right now. So you think about what Dennis Schroeder did for the Lakers a few years back, really uh, resurrected his value after his value going up and down, up and down, right? But Terry Rozier, you're looking for that guard that can go get a bucket in the playoffs. You know what? But is it worth the $23, 24000000 million you're going to have to pay for it? Well, that's what a contender is going to have to try to figure out. But if they're desperate enough, they think their window is open right here, right now, they just might do it. The other thing that's going to help them is as the salary cap rises, it's not nearly as big of a percentage on your payroll. You're talking about $24 million, $26 million the next two years. But it's not three anymore. That matters. Yeah. I, I'm, I know it's only one year, but it still matters, right? Like, so maybe that's enough for another team to want him. I don't know. I think it is going to be hard. But all of that is true, what you're saying. I just don't know what NBA team... I don't know how this would work. And there are other people that are writing some things I'm sure the Hornets are thinking about. We have one person write in, hey, why trade Terry when he's one of your best players? 
David from Troutman said, yeah, why trade T. Rowe? He's your best shooter. He's building a stat line in Hornets lore for whatever it's worth. It's because this core isn't winning enough. And this is why, like with Terry Rozier, he's going to be one of those guys that even I've been critical of a decent amount of his of his tenure here. My, my, my criticism and praise has gone up and down with Terry. It's the lack of defense sometimes. It's his limitations. It's the contract. But it's also him adapting when you're trying to figure out Devontae Graham's role. It's his ability to adapt when LaMelo Ball is drafted. It's his ability to adapt when other guys get injured and now you have to be lead guard, going back to your combo guard. You find your identity with the Hornets, but also that very identity is taken away from you sometimes because of injuries. And I think that's really hard. I think Terry has been a real grown-up his entire time here when there were some questions about that during his time in Boston. So with Terry Rozier, he's going to be one of those guys that I always appreciate when he's gone, maybe even more so than I realize when he's here. What are some of the other athletes that fit that bill? Who are the athletes that we might have appreciated more once they were gone from Charlotte sports that were like, man, I wish he was here again. Maybe it's a star like Christian McCaffrey. Who are some of the other undersung heroes, though? The unsung heroes, maybe even flat out. You can text in on the Carolina Men's Clinic text line, 704-570-9610. Let's come back and talk about another former athlete no longer playing in Charlotte, Cam Newton. And he has had a bunch of comments about the Panthers in the last week, month, long time now. And he joined the QB Room podcast and talked about a lot of stuff. Lots of stuff pertaining to the Panthers. We'll get to it. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Who are the most unsung athletes in charlotte sports history that is the question for the carolina men's clinic text line 704-570-9610 thanks for listening to wesson walker sports radio 92.7 fm josh fitty Marlowe filling in for wes once more fitty you brought the mic in it leads me to believe that you might have an unsung athlete in charlotte sports history my guess is you would say Fitty in church league softball or basketball. That would be my first guess. But did you have something else to put forth to the conversation? DJ Augustine. (laughs) You know, I thought I covered my tracks. I should have (laughs) known. DJ Augustine, of course, was going to be the second answer. That's brilliant out of you. I can't believe I didn't see that one coming. I I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to get him. He's going to say, you know, I was pretty underappreciated back in my church league days, but I should have seen DJ Augustine coming. Um, Cody Zeller, because after hearing Steve Clifford complain about Nick Richards not setting screens, and then last night, there was there were just some screens that he like he he set some, but was it was it last year where Cody Zeller led the NBA in like screen assists? So it's always been Rudy Gobert and David Locke, who is my boss for the Locked On Podcast Network, who has built that empire, if you will. Yeah, he's locked in. He's locked in. He's locked on. So many lock jokes. <laughs> Anytime somebody's mad at an episode of ours, it's locked on BS. That's what they go with. <laughs> Plenty of locked on jokes. (laughs) Oh, you can do so many. Like anytime we talk about PJ too much. Oh, locked on PJ. Locked on LaMelo Ball because he's what drives everything. He's the biggest star. You you go locked on anything and you got yourself low-hanging fruit joke. That we appreciate, but it's low-hanging fruit. Speaking of PJ, um, and maybe you don't care. Maybe this is just something that I nerd out. He looks 
better in a basketball uniform with the undershirt than without. I was going to ask you, Fiddy. I, I, I was watching him last night play the four minutes that he did before he suffered that shoulder injury. By the way, the you can say whatever you want about inconsistencies. That's true. PJ has been our Iron Man here with the Hornets. And if he's going to be injured, who knows how long he's going to be out. But the injury bug has officially taken everyone now. PJ was the last one. He was dodging. He was running away. He was trying to get away from it. But last night was the first time he got bit in quite some time. It's gotten everybody. But with PJ having that undershirt, I was about to look to you last night, but I think you, you know, you were talking to Brian or somebody else. And so I just moved on and forgot to bring it up. I thought you would be a bigger fan of PJ with the under t-shirt. Like I, it was either going to go one way or the other. You were either going to hate it mm-hmm. because oh, you, no needed in between. To, you needed to abide by tradition <laughs> or you were going to love it because it does have some history with Patrick Ewing being the first to do so. You hate long sleeves. I remember that. Yes, combo. long sleeves and basketball. There's a great player that's playing for uh, Pittsburgh right now. He recorded a triple double in his first ever game. Nolan Void because you're wearing long sleeves while playing an indoor sport. I always think of San Diego State, Jamal Franklin. Yep, yep. Jamal Franklin was a baller. But also there was the Oklahoma. That's what we got started on the conversation a month back or so. Yeah, yeah, we, we did go down that rabbit hole. Did you wear an undershirt when you played high school ball? Um, Only like a tight sleeveless Under Armour shirt. Like I didn't go t-shirt. Oh, you see, I wore, I was the guy that sat the bench, freshman JV basketball, that had the undershirt underneath the jersey, with the shooting sleeve and making sure that, you know, I had the, the like, I looked the part on the bench. That way, if I ever got put into the game, mm-hmm. like the 17 minutes I played, I put fear in the opponent. Let's go to the text line because I want to get to some of these unsung heroes in Charlotte sports history. Myron Goodman wrote in a few Hornets. LJ, Zoe, Kendall Gill were all shipped off too soon and very underappreciated. I would agree with Kendall Gill more so than LJ and Zoe. I still see a lot of jerseys, lots of shirts. Those guys are appreciated. They get honored all the time. The only reason the Hornets don't really do it with LJ is because there's a little bit of a rift in their relationship, which is sad because that's among our best sports history is LJ and Grandmama and all that. I would not say they're underappreciated. We freaking love those guys, and we scream it to the mountaintops. Kendall Gill's a good one, though. Kendall Gill was really good. K. Will said we should have kept Jeremy Lin. We got injured. So that was the reason it, we actually dodged that bullet too, with nothing to do with Jeremy Lin's ability. He was very good in Charlotte after Lin's sanity, going to Houston, stalling out, coming to the Hornets, helping them reach the postseason. Yeah. But then he got hurt with Brooklyn after like a fifteen million dollar a year deal with the twenty sixteen salary cap rise. So um, I love Jeremy Lin. I like him being underappreciated. I don't know about should have uh, kept him though because it would have been a bad contract with the injuries. Mike from Mooresville, number one answer has to be Kobe Bryant, right? Traded the kid after dra- drafting him. No, but you could go the guy they traded him for, Vlade. Divots was sweet. No, he wasn't Kobe. And so you're never going to be better than Kobe. Nobody is ever going to say that. But Divots was sweet here, man. Love me some Vladdy, some Vladdy Daddy. I think we have a Vladdy Daddy on the text. Vladdy Daddy. It amazes me some of the drops that you have. <laughs> it's the first one. I, it's the first time I've ever heard of that. 704, Glenn Rice, arguably best three years any Hornet has ever had. This one's tough for me, Fiddy. I, I think you've heard me talk about him. 
I didn't get to really watch him growing up with the Hornets. Like I was just a little too young. It was, you know, that 95, six, seven season. I was five years old by the end of his time here with the Hornets. So I barely missed it. But if you go back and then you watch some of those highlights and you check out some of his stats, it's the best three year stretch that I have ever seen with the Charlotte Hornets. Yes, that includes Alonzo, who only played three. Yes, that includes LJ. Glenn Rice offensively for those three years. I mean, I I can't even wrap my head around it. Putting him in today's day and age, with him shooting the ball as well as he did, 47% from three, (laughs) playing as many minutes as anybody in the league, alongside triple-double threat Anthony Mason. Man, I'm living in some Hornets nostalgia. Glenn Rice, I'll always agree with that. We got Malik Monk. My number one disagreement with a lot of Hornets pundits. I always love Malik. Everybody else says it was time to move on. We got a John Casey. Yeah, the whole kicking out of bounds thing has ruined him, but it shouldn't have. I like that one. And then Christian brought up Curtis Samuel. He was still, he's still so dynamic. Curtis Samuel would really help this football team. Yeah. You talk about separation, always been a separation god. G-A-W-D in the NFL. He's always been very good. Let's move on. People want us to have the cam convo. So let's get to it. Cam Newton, he's been talking, ain't he, Fitty? <laughs> talking a lot, man. <laughs> Makes our jobs easier. What a media tour he's on right now. People love the Cam Newton comments. And he we played a soundbite yesterday on the Live Wire when he talked about some of the game managers in the NFL. Sam Brock Purdy was one. Dak Prescott was the one that people had the most problem with, which I agree. It's a bad take. It does, you know, I've said it a million times. Julius Peppers, Cam Newton. My favorite NFL players of all time, probably. But Cam Newton had a bad take. It doesn't mean that we can go back in history and talk down about his 2015 season or his career. You know, we had Jason McIntyre going on TV, trying to clap back at Cam and said, hey, Dak Prescott has a better career than you do right now, has had a better career, which I 100% disagree with. But you just went too far. When we try to clown what Cam did or disrespect what uh, what Cam did, no, that's taking it too far. Dude was really good, had a very short, unfortunately, but good career here in Carolina. I just disagree with the take. We played that. He's got some other takes here. I think the one that got the most traction during his interview with Jordan Palmer yeah, and Kyle, and Allen. Kyle Allen on the QB Room podcast, he talked about Tygate, okay? He talked about Tygate. The suspension that he had right before that primetime football game against Seattle. Derek Anderson starts the game. We're all, wait, we're taking it back. We had no clue. And you see Derek Anderson roll out first pass of the game. Not Derek's fault. This is what I want to do for DA, though. Not his fault. Hits Mike Tolbert rolling to the right, which is also on the text line for among unsung heroes here in Charlotte sports history. Hits Mike Tolbert like right in the chest off the hands, and then it's a, a pass deflected um, interception. So not really Derek's fault. But still, that set the tone for an absolute beatdown that the Panthers suffered against the Seattle Seahawks. And it was all because he didn't wear a tie. Do we have the tie audio here, Fitty? I do not. Okay, so that was the tie audio where Cam Newton is saying it was Dave Gettleman who was manipulating Ron Rivera who was manipulating Mike Shula, where they're talking to him, Cam Newton, they were out on a West Coast road trip. He's, uh, they're about to play the Raiders. He doesn't have a tie then. Nobody says anything. And then they're about to play Seattle. They stay out West because you just have both back-to-back road games out on the West Coast. And he packed a couple turtlenecks. And you know, Cam, it's never that he was dressed down by any stretch of the imagination. He just didn't have a suit. 
So they kept asking him a couple times, according to Cam. And Cam said, look, you got to do what you got to do. If I'm not going to wear a suit and you're not going to play me, I don't have one. I don't have a tie. Do what you got to do. And eventually he didn't start that game. So that's what got a lot of the traction. Here's some of the audio that we do have from the QB Room podcast. Here's Cam Newton on some of his desires down the road, wanting to become a team president for the Carolina Panthers. Let me be the team president. Team president. Yeah. I, if I was in the league, I had the same thing. I don't want to be a coach. And I guarantee you, I can sell out. I can, I can give you what you need from, from Bryce. I can also speak on terms of what the fans' expectations is, and I also have the leverage to hold management and Tepper accountable. I don't want to be a coach. Right? I'm a businessman. Nobody wants so to. at the end of the day, I, I see a situation in Carolina where it's a lot of ups that has been taking place. No question about it. Only way to say it. I think Tepper's success as a businessman thought he was going to come into a situation and run that kind of similar. As he know and found out, that's not like this ain't the same thing. You see what I'm saying? So I would love to help him as well as everything because I, I, I will always be connected to Carolina. I would yeah. never, you know, bet against or go against yeah. Carolina. It was, it's, it's a part of me. Hell, still have you know, residencies in Carolina, you know what I'm saying? So I it, I don't think I care enough to coach, but I would love to be in an advisory position to help the overall franchise. Mm-hmm. From the media to the fans' expectations to what is the fan experience coming into Bank of America Stadium, personnel decisions, is this guy right for the locker room? What do we say if we draft this type of guy? You know, talking to fan support, like, come on, bro. There's no other person that's prepared for that position than me. What do you think about Cam Newton being a team president here in Carolina? The one thing I'll say, I I ask you the question that I answer it. I apologize. That's bad hosting. But he is always going to be tied to Carolina. I mean, that's what you think of with Cam. He may be the most important player in franchise history as far as putting him on the map. When you play that position... And you win MVP. I mean, think about how hard it is to win Most Valuable Player of the Year award. It's really hard to do that. And then you get to the Super Bowl with a historic season. Is that enough, Fiddy, for Cam Newton to really make a run at this thing to the point where you would support it? No. It would be another move that Dave Tepper was making to appease the fan base. I think Dave Tepper needs a president. I think he could benefit greatly from having that type of guy and that type of uh, power, uh, p- p- position of power. But it doesn't need to be Cam Newton. If if you don't care enough to coach, why do you care enough to be a team president? Because the same amount of hours are required out of you, the same amount of work is required. I mean, because it's a pretty much 24-7, 365 type of job like – you know, if the if you if you become a good president, then you still got to work hard. But you see some presidents that they slip and fall in their organizations, they slip and fall. And so, I would love for Cam to be an ambassador for the franchise. I just don't know if the team president is the best role for him to be in. Plus, this also feeds into the idea that we want to only think good things about Cam Newton. And so, if he's president and things start to go awry again, and nothing is fixed, and then you have to jumble things, make some changes, 
I just don't want Cam Newton to come back for a third time in a different role. I understand yeah. it's not the third time on the football field, but if you bring him back for a third time in a different role, things don't get better the next two years. And then now we're all calling for some change up in the organization. Okay. Now Cam has to be fired. I just, th this is the problem with Cam that rears its head constantly. I just want to end on, you know, I, I, I don't want to say a good note. It, it didn't end great here in Carolina, but I just want to try to save the good memories with Cam and not add to some of the bad ones that might come about. Maybe that's playing scared. I get it. I'll play scared. I'll do that. But I just, I don't want to have the idea of that coming aboard. And also, you know, if Cam Newton gets this job, like I don't, I don't know if I'm saying, Hey, Cam Newton can come into this position. And now I feel great about it just because we have no clue what Cam's, role would be as far or we have no evidence as to him being successful in this role yeah like we, we need some things we feel good about with some of the decision making in this organization and i just don't have any evidence i can point to and say oh cam would be really good because of this decision that decision we just don't have any of that and man you need to be damn sure before making some of these decisions there's nothing worse than firing one of your own it's why the the carolina fan base the, the or the unc fan base it wasn't an easy decision to fire a Matt Doherty. Could you imagine if the Panthers were to put Cam Newton in that type of role and he failed and you have to fire him? You're talking about a guy that Matt Rule, you know, basically released, then brought back, and then they didn't keep him around after he was brought back and he, he brought a jolt to the team. And then you put him in that type of role when you fire him. That could be something that makes him forever untied to Carolina. And that's not good for this fan base. That's not good for this franchise. And, and so I think this is a guy that you want involved. And whenever you're hosting maybe big free agent targets, Cam Newton's the guy that like, like he sh like he shows up private jet, takes him to the best places on the town to eat, shows them where they where where they want to live. You want him to be a recruiter? Yes, but I I don't want him I don't want him in that type of in that type of position making decisions on and off the football field well and the last thing so because it was such a fun era of football because they got to the super bowl in 2015 because they got to the postseason three straight years they won the division three straight times despite having an under 500 record it didn't matter because you were at least the most successful and you got to some postseason football that was among the best era in panthers history yeah it was the most fun. We keep trying to go back to it and put those same dudes in different roles now because they can't play anymore. When it's why, like, whenever the Greg Olson stuff right. got got hot, and look, I, maybe Greg could be a really good football coach. I don't know. I think he's a pretty good TV broadcaster, in my opinion. He's probably better suited. I think suited. he's great. I think he's great at yeah, TV. You know, and great. he put the work in. This, yeah. This, I don't mean to interrupt. Just this is the thing with Greg, right? One thing you know about Greg is he is going to put the work in. Mm -hmm. What's something about TV is even in his twilight years, the last couple of seasons in the NFL, you saw him on combine coverage. You saw him in studios. He was actually working at this media thing. He was he doing the one-offs on the bye week. I, and I think Greg would be a great front office guy. But on the flip side, like if, if, it, if it goes wrong, 
Do you, do you want to fire Greg Olson? Do you want to fire Cam Newton? We get the Luke Keekley text all the time. Luke Keekley for head coach. Do you want to fire Luke Keekley? I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. Well, and th- this is the thing, right? Does it seem like a good strategy to go get the Panthers all-star team and have them in advisory roles or advisatory, according to Cam Newton? There are a lot of people writing, hey, advisatory. I looked it up. Is it a word? Computer out here telling me it's a word. I I think Cam Man Advisory, but maybe I'm wrong. I'll maybe I need to be schooled up on that. But all that to say, do you want to put all of the good football players that were here with Carolina? I it doesn't seem like a great position. I haven't seen it before where you just say, All right, here we go. Uh Luke Keekley, you're the GM. Greg Olson, you're the coach. Cam Newton, your team president. Let's bring Thomas Davis in here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring Jonathan Stewart in here. Ryan Khalil, what you doing? You want to be a scout? You want to be assistant general manager? Because that was our era. And I understand, hey, these guys are real likable, giant personalities, great character, all that stuff. I just I just don't know if that's the smartest thing to do to go get the all-star team. We got to go to break. We'll come back. We have plenty more to get to with some of the cam comments, a few more sound bites that I did want to get to a little bit later on. I promised you transfer portal madness and the promo that's been running a lot of ACC QB transition happening for the second straight year. What has the biggest impact? Let's discuss it coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Getting a lot of text on the Carolina Men's Clinic text line. Keep them rolling. 704-570-9610. We're going to go to Transfer Portal Madness with a few QBs entering the ACC. At least one leaving with Riley Leonard, which goes back to a great foul line trip for Wes Bryant when he was talking that ish, not ish Smith, but you know what kind of ish towards Notre Dame saying, hey, and I, we, we both feel the same way about this. I think I warmed him up for the foul line trip, and then he had to go to it. And here's Notre Dame once again taking an ACC quarterback in Riley Leonard after getting Sam Hartman the year prior. We'll see what they can do with Riley Leonard. But the biggest one, and there are a few big moves to talk about, NC State, after staying in conference for their quarterback last year, going after Brennan Armstrong, they also had Robert Anai, the offensive coordinator that made it work in Virginia with Brennan. Rough start. MJ Morris comes in. Then he's like, now nah, I want to keep my eligibility, so I'm peacing. Bye. And then he had to leave NC State despite him actually wanting to come back, wanting to save some eligibility for another year. Brennan comes back in, plays well, Fiddy. Yeah. Brennan Armstrong was playing very well. You don't got to tell me. I watched it. Yeah, he was really good against Carolina. <laughs> Carolina's defense will make a lot of QBs look good, but Brennan Armstrong, no different there, was really effective. They go out and they get Grayson McCall, a legendary group of five quarterback that's been in college football for quite some time. Mm-hmm. 2019, to be exact. He played just a couple games then, but then in 2020, that's when he really got going. 26 touchdowns, three interceptions, 27 touchdowns, three interceptions, 24 touchdowns, two interceptions. That was his redshirt freshman year to his junior season. Only played seven games this year. He got hurt. He had the one four interception game, which was more than in any season prior, by the way. Total, by the way, one game, four, 
The most he had in a season was three twice, his redshirt freshman and sophomore season. But Grayson McCall, really good quarterback, played for some excellent Coastal Carolina teams, takes care of the football, but also it's not one of those dink and dunk type of guys. He can really drive it downfield. I know you like this move, Fiddy. What can we expect from NC State's offense with McCall at the helm? You know, this this could be the quarterback move that in the expanded playoff format next year has State fans dreaming of a legitimate playoff berth. We did it two years ago, but it was in the four-team playoff. NC State just doesn't have the cachet to like, like they, they were going to have to go undefeated to make the playoff. A one-loss NC State team wouldn't have made it. But in the 12-team playoff, you're going to have at-large teams getting in. And at this point, it's just a given that State's defense is going to be second best in the ACC. They're always going to be – it might take them a while to be the best in the ACC, but they're always going to be average to fine. And then in the second half of the season, they're going to be great. That's if they don't start off really well at the beginning. And, you know, we, we just don't know what Florida State will look like next year with no Jordan Travis at quarterback. We don't know what Clemson – I think Clemson's going to build off of their three-game their, their, their three winning streak to end the regular season. You don't know what North Carolina is going to be. Like, I think State's going to be in a position when we go to ACC Media Days next summer where maybe they're being picked as the, the as, as a rep to make the ACC title game because we all saw what KC Concepcion did. I mean, this guy, the last, the last half of the, the regular season, was good for 100 yards a game and was making impactful plays. And he was the only guy on offense. You would imagine they'll find some more weapons, but I love this move for NC State, and I think it puts them in a position to be legitimate contenders next year in the ACC. This one feels a little – there's not going to be nearly as much doubt with this former head coach QB combo turned OC QB combo because that was maybe the biggest question heading into the ACC last year – Will we see Brennan Armstrong from his last season at Virginia or the two years prior mm -hmm. when Robert and I was there as the OC and he was putting up crazy numbers? He led the nation in total offense per game that year. We actually saw both sides. We saw Brennan Armstrong not play well, them not trust him throwing the football, and so they ran him quite a bit. But then when Brennan Armstrong came back, they did start to let that thing loose. Here they are going back to the, hey, this OC used to be head coach. Worked with this quarterback. They were pretty good. Let's just bring that combo back to NC State with Tim Beck. Used to be at Coastal. Now here at NC uh, NC State being the offensive coordinator. And I just wonder if this is going to be a better combo in my opinion. Right? There's not as much doubt. The only thing that we have really against Grayson McCall is that he got injured last season. And that he threw for more interceptions. But if you talk about just outlier performances, I just went down that he had four interceptions against Georgia Southern. That's not going to happen that much. Okay. I mean, four interception games aren't going to happen. I expect him to still take care of the football for a large portion of the season. And so there's not as much doubt that you had with Brennan Armstrong. It feels like we're going to be much higher on this move. And the text line seems to think so as well. And you're talking about a local kid. This guy played at Porter Ridge High School out there and the Indian Trail, Union County portion. So it's kind of like Sam Howell goes two and a half hours up the road. Um, and he put Coastal Carolina on the map. Remember, they played in a game day game during the COVID season against BYU in a game that at the time was going to determine, you know, which group of five team went to a New Year's Six Bowl game. So he's played, despite being at the group of five level, the guy has played in big games. And so he's not going to be 
um, you, you know, foreign to playing in big games and ACC environments. And his ability to protect the football, I think, is going to be the game changer because he's going to be efficient. And I think that's what this this is what the state offense needs with its defense. If they get efficient play on the offensive side of the football, they're winning eight, nine games every year now with less than average offensive play at times. You take that up a notch with the way they they, they play defensively, those losses become wins, and all of a sudden you're playing for bigger things in Raleigh. Is it pretty easy to go with Grayson McCall having a bigger impact with NC State compared to Riley Leonard with Notre Dame? Or do you think Riley Leonard is going to take them take them to a level that Sam Hartman wasn't able to do last year? I don't know. Year? I mean, Leonard this year was getting first-round mocks. Mm-hmm. You know, was getting compared to Kirk Cousins as his NFL comparison had he come, went out and gone pro. But almost more mobile. I mean, Riley can run, as yeah. we've clearly seen. So, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think Riley Leonard's a good quarterback. I know he's tough. I know he's going to leave it all out on the field. But we saw all the Sam Hartman. Man, Notre Dame's just a different animal. It's a different beast. And I, to me, it baffles me that in the NIL world of college football, that Notre Dame has to go to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and Durham, North Carolina to find their quarterbacks. And maybe that should speak volume about the quarterback play we have here in the ACC, but you would think the brand that Notre Dame is, is going and getting the Kyle McCord from Ohio State, a guy that beat them in their backyard, a Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma who's now going to Oregon not having to go to little old Duke to find their quarterback to get them in the playoff and maybe win a game or two. Well, yes, and and it's easy to joke, as we've all joked, but they're just going after the best QBs available, and they just so happen to be in Durham and Winston-Salem because Sam Hartman had a lot of stats that he put up. The biggest difference between Riley Leonard and Sam Hartman, despite both having success in the ACC, is that Riley Leonard does not have the I-can't-perform-in-big-games reputation. Nope. Sam Hartman did. In fact, when there were big games, Riley Leonard stood up. Just because they lost to North Carolina two years ago when it was a shootout, it wasn't Riley's fault. It was Drake May being top-two QB prospect-worthy good in in that final drive. At the beginning of this season, even if Riley Leonard is not connecting on a ton of passes, he can still beat you with his legs. And there was the one big pass towards the end of that game that Riley Leonard really delivered on to upset a Clemson team that only Wes Bryant called with that upset. So Riley Leonard does not have that same reputation. He still has a lot of work to do as far as getting back to what he was at the beginning of the season. It's not his fault. He just had some injuries that he would try to battle back from. Maybe they brought him back a little early because they were trying to salvage a Duke season that was deteriorating with some of the injuries that they suffered. But I just Riley Leonard is a guy I believe in, especially in those big moments, more so than Sam Hartman. And I'm fascinated to see what Marcus Freeman with more experience now can do and what Riley Leonard, having experienced something on a lower level, but also performing in big games. Maybe this is the year that they can actually deliver on some of this. I'll be naive. Like, I I understand that might sound uh, me being naive on that. I get it. But I, I just trust that Riley Leonard guy, man. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you mentioned the upset of Clemson to start the season, which we had to listen to Wes Bryant predict for four months and has since bragged about for four months. Hey, hey kudos to him, man. And if if you go back to that Florida State game, a game that Duke ended up losing. I think the final score of that game was 37-20. to 20, But it was 20-17 to 17 in the fourth quarter in favor of Duke before he got hurt. And so if, yeah. he, if he doesn't get hurt, who knows how that game ultimately turns out. You just don't know. So you're right. He has played 
in big games and has done his job in big games. And that, and that's what Notre Dame needs because Notre Dame plays in big games every year. But they just haven't had the adequate quarterback play to win the type of games that that program, that fan base is used to winning. I really like that. I want to see that matchup. Yeah, some fun stuff. Also, Hank Bachmeyer still in college football. He transferred from Boise State to land at Wake Forest. I think it was Boise State, or did he? No, oh, he was at Louisiana Tech. Now he's at Wake Gosh, Forest. Gosh, yeah, he was from Boise State. He though, was right? at okay. Boise State. I Goodness cannot gracious. wait. I know. This is why. This is why I want West back tomorrow because there's no way West was happy with this move. No, hell no. No way. It sounds like he's here when you play it. <laughs> Wes is always with us. Wes, are you here, man? No, oh. hell no. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's not. Maybe tomorrow. You kind of like that answer, though. <laughs> it's the 1 o'clock hour coming up next. Derek Brown, I thought, had a straight bar in the locker room with some media access telling you that he wants to play spoiler down the stretch. Can they do it as the season winds down? We'll talk about it on Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.